Wow. That is, uh, thank you. That is uh, completely unnecessary, but also really nice. So I don't know if we could just do that every week from now on. Uh, that might be fun. Uh, hey, as Benny said, man, it has been a crazy couple of weeks around here. Uh, of course, last week, so many on the team um, either got COVID or, or were close contacts. We weren't even able to meet in person, so we had to go online. So thanks for your grace and, and flexibility in that. As, as Benny said, Dugan called yesterday afternoon. You know, I was out all week, and then about midweek, I was good. And so he was like, I'm teaching this week. Just, you know, get caught up. So I went in on Friday, finally, um, started trying to catch up on emails and things that I had missed while I was gone. Um, and so he was supposed to teach. He calls yesterday and he goes, dude, I just tested positive for COVID. And I was on my way out of town to do a wedding for a Heartland couple. So I got back last night and I was like, okay, Lord, here we go. And I say all of that just to say, this is the caveat that I want you to know. Normally, I'm very scripted. Like, I know what I'm going to say. I know how long it's going to last. Today, I am not, which means this could either become one of the shortest sermons I've ever given or one of the longest. So as Benny said, if you're a praying person, you might want to take the next couple moments and pray for the former, right? Um, but we're in this series called May I Remind You. And the idea behind the series is pretty simple. The idea is just that we want to start 2022 with like the right things at the front of our mind. Now, there's all sorts of things that we could fix our mind and our attention on, but as we begin a new year and as we look forward to all that God has in store for us in 2022, we want to remember some fundamental biblical truths. We want, to, we want to remember some of the things that God reveals over and over and over again in Scripture so that no matter what 2022 brings for us, it'll be filtered through the lens of God's Word. And to that end, we're just taking each week in January to camp out on a different thought, a different fundamental truth in this, under this umbrella of simply saying, may I remind you. Today, I want to pull our, may I remind you, I want to pull our, our uh, reminder out of a passage of scripture that comes in the very first gospel of the New Testament, Matthew's gospel. And we're going to read it from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Uh, and as we've been doing over the last couple of months, I want to invite you to simply stand where you are for the reading of the scripture. I'm going to read it all the way through. We'll say a word of prayer. And then we're just going to go back through and break it down. And I'm going to make some observations on it. All right? So would you go ahead and stand? where you are right now. I think, the, I think we've got a slide for this, uh, but I'm going to read it out of my Bible, and um, this will be the only slide we have because, again, I didn't know I was teaching until about 12 hours ago. So um, Matthew 17, verse 1. We read, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to do this, especially after last week where logistically this wasn't possible. We're so grateful to be back in your house, surrounded by, by our church family in your presence. And Lord, I pray that over the next 30, 35 minutes, however long it lasts, however long you choose to speak through me, I pray that that's what would happen, that you would speak through me into the lives of each person listening today, and they would walk out of here being reminded not of something that I came up with or I heard and wanted to pass on, but that they would be reminded of the thing that it is that you want to say to them specifically. And so, Lord, we give you this time, and we pray that you would do what you will in it, in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. And you can have a seat. One of the things that my wife and I like to do with our three kids is we value getting together with our children in the evening and sitting down to a meal together. Uh, we've got three kids. Beckham is 14, Easton, our middle child, is 12, and then my daughter, Braylon, is 10. And we live very busy schedules, right? We have schedules like most of you probably do. Our boys are involved in sports. My daughter's in gymnastics and band. And so we've got concerts and games and matches and tournaments and all of that stuff. But as much as we can, we fight for the value of sitting down to dinner together. Right? And when we do that, we want to be intentional with the conversation that we have. And so years ago, when they were very little, my wife came up with this format where she said, hey, when we get together for dinner, let's start by, let's start by, by playing the game of high-low. You know what I'm talking about? Where you, you go around the table and everybody talks about the high point of their day and they talk about the low point of the day. They talk about the mountain and the valley, the best part and the worst part of the day. And so we do this regularly. We've done this since they were little. And my daughter, oh my goodness, my daughter's so sweet. My daughter, who's like the, so optimistic and positive that, that she won't even say the best part and the worst part of my day. She says the best part of my day was, and then she says, and then the worst best part of my day. Like they're all the best part, but the, the worst of the best parts of the day was this. And so, so we go around and we play high-low. All I want to simply remind you of this morning is that 2022 will bring some highs and it will bring some lows, but God is with you through them all. May I remind you, as we begin this new year, that 2022 will bring some highs. There's going to be some fun. There's going to be some joy. For some of you this year, you're going to meet the person that you've been waiting for. You're going to meet your soulmate this year, and that is going to be so much fun. For others of you, you're going to cross the line from, from dating to becoming engaged, and that is going to be a moment that feels like a mountaintop experience, and you are going to love it. It is going to be so good. Others of you, like the Heartland couple that I married yesterday afternoon, will, will take that next step and you'll, you'll kind of come to the, to the altar together and you'll say your I do's and you'll make your vows and you'll exchange rings and you'll, you'll leave that place as husband and wife and that will feel like a high of all highs. For some of you, you're going to 
You're going to have a child this year, and that will be a high. For others, your child will graduate from high school, and you will send them off to the next chapter of their life, and that will feel like a high. For some of you, you will find a new hobby or a new interest this year, and it will captivate your mind and your energy, and it will bring you so much joy. And if your spouse is anything like mine, she will be mostly happy for you, but also ask, do you really need another hobby there's going to be good, right? There's going to be fun this year. You're going you're gonna to take trips and go on vacations, and maybe you're going to go someplace warm this year when it's cold back here, and maybe you're going to go someplace that doesn't deceive you by naming the city Sun Prairie, despite the fact that for six months of the year it's not very sunny, right? But you're going to have moments that you love so much you want to capture them on, on, on film. You want to take pictures of them, and you want to save those memories because they're so good. You're going to have family reunions and holidays and gatherings and concerts and plays and events that are so good. And what I want to remind you of, what I want to encourage you to do is to remember in those moments that God is with you, that those moments are his blessing on your life, that those moments have been prepared for you from before you were even born, and that he was excited to share those moments with you. And if you will share those moments with him, they will become even more richer. They will become even more special if you remember that he is with you in them. And then at the flip side of that coin, there will be some lows this year. Anytime you talk to a room full of people and a couple hundred more people online, the reality is that there will be some loss. And I'm not talking about the kind of loss that a lot of times at my dinner table gets talked about. You know, for us at the dinner table, a lot of times the, the low is like, well, Dad, you know, the pizza they served at lunch today was cold and didn't taste very good. And, you know, I like kind of get amped up a little bit that, and I'm, you know, I can't help. I'm almost 40, and so I'm like, are you kidding me? Back in my day, we, I didn't get, get to eat the school lunch. Like, my parents sent me with a peanut butter sandwich and some wavy chips every single day my whole life, and when I did get to eat school lunch, it was Salisbury steak that was tasted like rubber and a bag full of milk. They gave us milk in bags when I went to school. Anybody else in the room drink milk out of a bag at school? Yes, that's real. I tell people that sometimes, and they look at me like I'm lying. It's true. We got like a Ziploc baggie of milk, and you had to hold it just right and pop it with the straw, right? Or, and if you didn't do it right, it would go everywhere. You get milk all over the place, and then you stink all day because you smell like, like sour milk, right? So anyway, that was probably longer than I needed to go down that trail. But my point is that there will be some lows, and they will be more significant than I didn't get the pair of shoes I wanted. You know what I'm talking about because some of you are there now. You are living in the valley of pain. And 2022 is going to bring more of that. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Aren't you glad you came to church today? But this year, there will be ups and downs. It's inevitable. If you ever... Go to a church or listen to a pastor who says that if you believe hard enough, you will never have pain in your life. You need to run as far away from that teacher as you can because that is not biblical. That is not true. It does not work that way. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And so what I want to remind you of is that this year, while there will be highs that you're invited to bring God into, there will also be some lows. 
And you can bring God with you into those as well because he is already with you. It's just a matter of remembering that. And that truth is on display so powerfully in Matthew 17 in the transfiguration. And so I want us to simply look at it. If you go back to verse 1, chapter 17, we read that after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves. Scholars today think that this was Mount Hermon. Why do they think that? There's one other good mountain possibility. Well, because in chapter 16, we're told that Jesus and his disciples were near Caesarea Philippi. Well, next to Caesarea Philippi is Mount Hermon. So it would make sense that that would have been the mountain he went up instead of crossing all the way to southern Israel to get up this other mountain. So we think that he was on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon stands about 10,000 feet above sea level. And we're told that Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. We see this frequently in Jesus's life. We see this rhythm to his life. Jesus would, Jesus would, would, would engage with the masses and then he would pull back alone. He would hang out with the crowd and he would serve them and teach them and heal their sick and then he would get alone with the few. He frequently got alone to pray, to spend time with God the Father or his inner circle of friends. I've heard it said that the larger your public platform grows, the larger your inner world has to grow as well. Otherwise, your life will become top-heavy, and when you hit a storm, when those storms that do come, come, your life will come toppling over. Unfortunately, we see this all the time with celebrities, right? People who, whether they've done something significant or not, for whatever reason, they become famous seemingly overnight. And their fan base grows, and their fame expands, and their followers grow, and the number of clicks and likes and comments on their posts explodes, and it does something to them. It feeds some unhealthy part of them. It, it strokes their ego in an unhealthy way, and their need to be liked, their need to be loved, they start to find their significance in the likes and comments and hearts of people's comments on social media. And as a result of that, they begin to cultivate a public image more than they're concerned with cultivating their private world. And so as a result, when their life does begin to come down off of the mountain, it snowballs in the wrong direction and their life just blows up. Well, what we see with Jesus was the exact opposite. The bigger that his public fame became, the, bigger he le- or the more that he leaned into his private world. He was setting an example for us that our public life has to be the overflow of our private life spent with him. Jesus represented and modeled for us this idea of having a community of people that you do life with around him. Of course, he spent the three years with the 12. The 12 disciples went with him everywhere he went. He would talk to them and teach them and laugh with them and joke with them and razz each other. We see this reflected in the gospel accounts. But even among the 12, we're told that Jesus took the three and they became an inner circle from among that group of 12. We're told that there were events like when Jesus raised the girl back to life, he had only brought Peter, James, and John with them. This moment on the transfiguration on Mount Hermon, Jesus only brought Peter, James, and John with him. Later on in the Garden of Gethsemane, we know that, that Jesus would be praying before he would, was arrested, and he took Peter, James, and John further along into the, into the garden with him to pray with him and to pray over him. This idea that we want to have a community of people to go with us into the highs and the lows is the heart behind our core value that we are in this together. 
Here at Heartland, we have five core values. One of them is that we are in this together. And what we mean by that is that we want to build a community around us that is in it in the highs and with us in it in the lows. And so if you don't have a group of people that you, that you really engage with on a deep, significant, spiritual level, we facilitate that here at Heartland through our groups ministry. We have connection groups where we facilitate that. We have marriage groups, marriage courses where you can join a small group of people to talk about the, the, the realities of marriage, the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs, the pains and the, and the, and the victories of it. We have Alpha Course where you get to learn about God and the, the basis of our faith in a group with, uh, with a group of people. I think so many of us have a community around us. We have people that we get to celebrate the highs with. We have people who will tell us happy birthday on our birthday. But how many of us actually have a community of people that we actually pray with on a consistent basis? Where we actually dig into scripture with them and we talk about what God's revealing to us. How he's challenging us. How we're growing. Where we feel stagnant. If you don't have that, I want to encourage you to make 2022 the year that you have that. Make 2022 the year that you sign up for a group, that you engage, that you get into a marriage class, into the alpha group, into a connect group. Maybe you need to sign up and host it to hold yourself accountable and say, hey, I'm going to sign up to host because I know every week for eight weeks, people are going to show up at my door and that won't let me skip out on it, right? Maybe 2022 is the year that you take that step. But I want to encourage you, like Jesus, to follow his example and to develop that inner circle around you. Well, they went up on the mountain. They went up to Mount, the top of Mount Hermon. And we read in verse 2 that there Jesus was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. Jesus was changed. The Greek word that is translated as transfigured here literally means to change the outward appearance of something. It it meant to change the outward appearance of something. You know where I'm going with this? Can you already see why I'm going to get excited about this? What was changed was not Jesus' inner world. It was not the inside that was changed. It was just the external It was the veil that was lifted, and Jesus was actually able to shine through in all of his fullness for a little moment. What Peter and James and John got to witness was not a mirage of Jesus. It was not an image of Jesus. It was not a, a foreshadowing of what Jesus would be some point in the future. They got to see Jesus as he really is, and it blew them away. And I want to invite you to join me in praying a prayer this year, that we would pray the prayer that in 2022, God, give me eyes to see you. Give me eyes to see you as you really are. Give me eyes to see the fullness of you, Lord, not some small representation of you, not some small image of you, not a reflection of you, not what somebody told me was true about you, but God, give me eyes to see you and to see all of you. Because I think if we could see the magnitude of God's glory, if we could catch a vision of who he is, then not just the highs, but the lows, especially the lows, would be affected. Because when we would get into the lows, we would understand there is no valley that I will ever enter that is too dark for the light of Christ to shine into. 
And so I want to join, I want to invite you to join me in praying this prayer that I've been praying for myself as I've been living in Matthew 17 lately. That God, give me eyes to see your fullness this year. Jesus was transfigured. And when he was, what did they see? This old light exploding off of his face like the, like the, like the sun. Now, this might bring to mind for some of you one other place in Scripture where somebody's face shined like the sun. Do you remember who this was? It was Moses. If you go back to Exodus, I think it was Exodus 33, we see that Moses is, is, is in conversation with God back and forth. And God is leading Moses as he leads the nation of Israel. He led them out of slavery in Egypt. He's leading them in the promised land, or I'm sorry, in the wilderness. And then he's getting ready to hopefully lead them into the promised land. Well, while they're in the wilderness, uh, God tells Moses he's going to give him the law. And so he invites Moses up on Mount Sinai to receive the law. And when this happens, Moses says, God, will you show yourself to me? Will you reveal yourself in your glory to me? And God says, Moses, if I showed myself to you in all of my glory, you would drop dead instantly. You could not observe my glory and survive. Your physical human body would not be able to sustain, it, would not be able to sustain life if you saw me. But he says, this is what I'll do for you, Moses. I'm going I'm I'm to let you see the backside of me. He says, when you come up Mount Sinai, before I give you the law, he said, there's going to be a cleft in the mountain. I want you to go and I want you to stand in the cleft. I want you to bury your face in the cleft. And when I pass by you, I'm going to put my hand over you. I'm going to put my hand over you in the rock and I'm going to pass by you. And then once I take my hand off, then you'll be able to look out from the cleft in the rock and you'll be able to see my back. Well, this happens and Moses sees the glory of God from behind him. It's so radiant. It, that Moses' body absorbs it so much. When Moses comes down from the mountain, his face shined like the sun to the point where he had to put a veil over his face anytime people were around him so that they wouldn't be blinded by the, by the light that was shining off of Moses. But here's the difference. The difference is that Moses was reflecting the light of God. Jesus was the light. Jesus was not reflecting the glory of God. Jesus was the source of the light. Did you know that in light, all of the, the fullness of the spectrum of color is, is contained within light? And so when you see the color of something, what you're seeing are the wavelengths of specific colors being reflected back to your eye which means that Jesus is not only the source of all light in the world, as he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I'm the bread of light, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd. He said, I am the light of the world. But not only is Jesus the light of, of the world, that means he is also the source of all color and beauty that we will ever see. It is all because of Jesus. It is all only him. They saw Jesus transfigured in this moment. In verse 3, we read that Moses and Elijah show up with Jesus. Why Moses and Elijah? Well, because Moses represented the law and Elijah represented the prophets. We read in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said, hey, listen, guys, I'm, I'm beginning my ministry. I'm going to teach you all kinds of amazing things, but I just want to be clear from the outset. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. 
Later on in Matthew chapter 22, Jesus gets asked, what's the most important commandment in the entire law and prophets? And Jesus says, the greatest, law, uh, the greatest command is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all of the law and prophets. Moses represented the law. Elijah represented the prophets. Verse 4, Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> Don't you love Peter? <clears throat> Jesus, it's good that I'm here. I know you've just transfigured and a couple of guys who have been dead for hundreds of years are here with you, but it's a good thing that I came with you, Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter didn't know what to do in this moment. Mark tells us in his gospel, Mark was really Peter's gospel. They were companions, so Peter kind of dictated his gospel. We think Peter wasn't a writer. It doesn't strike us as a writer anyway, so Mark was. Mark wrote down Peter's account of his time with Jesus. Mark tells us that Peter said this because he didn't know what to say in this moment, which would make a lot of sense because that's a pretty dumb thing to say. It's good for me to be here. Well, Peter is, the, is an action-oriented guy. So he jumps into action. He jumps into doing something. He wants to do something. He wants to engage. He wants to be part of the moment. So he says, Jesus, let me build shelters. I'll build one for you. I'll build one for, for Moses. I'll build one for Elijah. We can send James off to get food. I'll stay here with you three, and we'll just hang out for a while here on the mountain. But sometimes, as important as it is for us to, to do, which I do think is important, right? We've been called to love our neighbor as ourselves. We do not love with word or speech. We love with our actions and our deeds. James said that faith without works is dead. It's completely worthless. It is, it is dead, worth nothing. So I think our actions matter. But sometimes we just need to be with Jesus. We need to just sit in his presence and be with him. We see this reflected in the story of when Jesus went to the home of Mary and Martha. They were hosting him, and many of you know this story, but Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet and to listen to him talk, and Martha is running around, taking care of all the details, trying to be a good host, making sure the meal's prepared, and everybody's going to eat and when, when the food's hot, and everybody's got the, a seat at the table, and, and she just gets so stressed out. She comes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, my sister's sitting at your feet. She's not helping me. She's left all the things for me to do. Would you tell her to get up and help me, Jesus? And what did Jesus say to Martha? He said, Martha, there are so many things that could be done, but there are only a few that really need to be, and indeed, really just one. What was the one thing that was the only thing that needed to be done that day? It was to sit in the presence of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't be with them physically for a whole lot longer. And Jesus knew that when Martha looked back on that day, she would not have wanted to worry about whether or not there were enough chairs or everybody's drink stayed refilled. That she would just be with him. So in this moment, Peter didn't need to do anything. Just needed to be with Jesus. 
And that's true for us, whether we're on the mountaintop or we're in the valley, we are invited to simply be with him. Peter didn't want this moment to end. Just like none of us want the mountaintop moments to end. He wanted to stay on the mountain. Lord, let's not leave. Let's just camp out here. Let's stay right here. This is good. I like it. My life is ordered. It's at peace. Like, there's not too much pain around me. Like, everybody's healthy. We've got a good job. Like, it's stable. We're paying the bills. Like, God, just let us stay on the mountain for a little while longer, please. But eventually, they had to come down off of the mountain. And so do we. When we do, it's never fun. Those of you living in a valley right now know it's not fun. But God is with you in it. And he knows what he's doing. Scripture says that he will make all things work together for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Moses and Elijah were there I think partly because they did such a great job of reflecting this reality that life's filled with highs and lows. Elijah at one point had been called up onto Mount Carmel and he defeated 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. He called down fire from heaven and God wiped the sacrifice clean and they, they wiped out these false prophets and God brought the people back to him. It was an epic high. But just a couple chapters later, we find Elisha hiding out under a tree, weeping, wishing to die. He had gone from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows when he was literally suicidal. But in that moment, God came to him, not in a fire, not in an earthquake, not in a rushing wind, but in a still, small quiet voice. And in the end, Elisha would be taken up to heaven. He's the only person that we know really didn't ever die. There's another guy in the Old Testament, a guy named Enoch, that says he walked with God and then he was no more. And kind of it implies that he was taken away before he had to face an earthly death. But we're not really sure. The only person we're really sure of is Elijah. He knew what the high was. He knew what the low was. And in the end, God took care of him. Moses knew highs and lows as well. Moses was brought up in Pharaoh's household. He was blessed. He was privileged. Had the world at his fingertips until he lost his anger. He lost his temper one day and he murdered an, an, an Egyptian soldier. And he goes on the run and he spends the next 40 years of his life shepherding sheep on the backside of a mountain. He feel like his life had passed him by. It was as low as you can get. Then God appears to him in the burning bush, and he says, I want to use you. I want to use you to lead my people out of slavery. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, you're going to be the one who leads them into the promised land. So he gets to lead the people out of Egypt, but then they spend 40 years in the promised land because the people repeatedly turn their back on God. God says, none of you will enter the promised land. I'll give it to your descendants. Moses, you can still come in. Continue on and reading through the book of Exodus. God tells Moses to speak to a rock. He's going to make water come out of this rock. He can provide for the nation of Israel. Moses and his anger, this anger problem that had followed him over the course of his entire life, doesn't speak to the rock. He strikes the rock. 
God still makes water come forward. He provides for his people. But he says, because you've disobeyed me again, you're going to die before you enter the promised land. Can you imagine how low that must have felt? To know that he would die before he received the promise of the promised land. But sure enough, he passes away, and it's Joshua who gets to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. But in the end, hundreds of years later, we find Moses, along with Elijah, on Mount Hermon with Jesus. And where is Mount Hermon? It's in the promised land. God knew what he was doing. He wasn't going to go back on his promise. He maybe didn't fulfill his promise the way that Moses thought he would fulfill it in this lifetime. But what we know is that there is more to this life than this life. And what we know is that everyone will live forever somewhere. That's reflected in the fact that Moses and Elijah were with him there. God knew that Moses hadn't entered the promised land yet, but he knew that he had promised it for him. So hundreds of years after his physical earthly death, God goes, okay, Moses, I think you've waited long enough. Jesus is waiting for you in the promised land. Go ahead and go see him on Mount Hermon. Moses and Elijah were with him when he was transfigured. Peter wants to stay in the moment, even though he can't. While he's offering to build some shelters for them, we read in verse 5 that while he was still saying this, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Do you remember where else a moment like this happens? Jesus' baptism. That's right. If you go back to Matthew chapter 3, you read about Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. Jesus comes to John and he says, I want you to baptize me. John's like, are you kidding me? I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me, if anything. You don't need to be baptized. And Jesus says, no, I've come to fulfill the law and the prophets. There's been a prophecy that I'll be baptized by you. I need you to baptize me. When Jesus is baptized, as he's coming up out of the water, the heavens were opened and the Spirit of God descends on Jesus like a dove. And what happens? The voice of God breaks in and audibly speaks. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Mount Hermon is the highest point in what was ancient Israel at 10,000 feet. The Jordan River feeds into the Dead Sea, which is at 1,500 feet below sea level, the lowest place on earth. God spoke this same message, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. At the highest point of Jesus' physical life and in the lowest point of his physical life. And I think the Truth is that God does the same thing for you. That in both the highest moments of your life and in the lowest moments of your life, God has the exact same message for you. And so this this year, I hope you'll remember in the highest of highs, 
that God is saying that same thing over you, that in the midst of the joy and the celebration and the fun and the life and the photos, just take a second to remember this year that God is there with you and he is saying to you in those highs, on those mountaintop moments, you are my son, you are my daughter. With you, I, I am well pleased. I love you and I'm here with you. And in the lows, when you're tempted to think that God has abandoned you or forgotten about you, that he doesn't care about the details of your life, when you are hearing those lies, remember this truth that even in the valley, at your lowest point, God whispers the exact same message. You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. In my 17 years of ministry or whatever it's been now, I've made one observation as strong as I've made any observation. Of course, as a pastor, a lot of times people want to come and talk to me and pray with me when, when their life is in a valley, which is which is good. I think that's a good thing to do. I love doing that with people. But as I've walked with now so many people through both mountains and valleys in their life, the observation that has been so strong to me, and if you've met with me over the last couple of years, you've heard me say this very same thing that I'm about to say right now because I've seen it so strongly, that so many times when our life gets into a valley, it causes people to respond one of two ways. We either choose to lean into our faith and we lean into our relationship with Christ or we pull away. We pull back. We pull away from church and we pull away from his word and we pull away from our Christian community. And the observation that I've made is that the people who come out the other side of the valley the best are the people who lean into their faith, who lean into their walk with Christ who lean into the ministry that God has placed them in here. And so again this year, may I remind you that 2022 is going to bring some highs and it's going to bring some lows, but God is with you through it all. And if you will be with him the way he is with you, it will make all the difference. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. God, I pray that as we leave this place and continue in the beginning of 2022, I pray that we would remember and apply what you have spoken to us today. Lord, we not be like people who see our reflection in the mirror and then walk away and forget what we looked like, but Lord, would we remember the message you have spoken to us this morning? Lord, would you grow us in our faith this year? Would this be a catalytic year for our faith? And Lord, I pray for everyone who can hear me this morning that in both the highs and the lows that they would choose to lean into their relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for the blessing that will come as a result of that. It's in your son's name that we pray and everyone who agreed said amen. Hey, have a great rest of your weekend, everybody. We'll see you next week as we continue. May I remind you.